Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering season one, episode nine. What is the title of this? The fox, the cabbage, the horse? In some order. The rabbit? Yeah, fox, rabbit, cabbage. Okay. Uh, that's the one we're covering. What did you think of this episode? This episode was fucking incredible. There's fucking no incredible. other word. Mm. Um, it approaches the heights, the highest highs that television can approach. This episode is a hellcat in bed. It's that's the best <laughs> word for it. There's no, I mean, the it's a perfect combination of excellent writing, excellent direction, excellent acting, acting and cinematography. It's just audio, shockingly good. Like I did not, you know, I, I mean, I've been impressed with Fargo, and I've liked some of the tricks they played with, uh, you know, the the snowstorm and and all that. And, yeah, but this it just felt like. It was on kind of another level, and you know, having mm. the first half being in Vegas doesn't hurt that probably. But I just I I was blown away at how they were able to effectively use camera techniques and performances and music and what we know of these characters to just make this tense as hell. Sure, that's the thing I really liked about it is the tension throughout the episode. I think once um, Lester kind of. I think made a mistake in uh, saying yes in that elevator. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hard let to his argue. pride get in the way at this point, which hard is to argue. such a strange turnaround for that character. Um, not not a strange in a bad way, just you wouldn't see it coming looking at a Lester in episode one versus F- Lester in episode nine. Certainly. Such a big difference. Uh, what did you and think? And now it got him in trouble. I What'd thought it was think? great. Okay. I thought it was great. The, the stuff that they did in the hotel uh, when you're talking about camera work was incredible and immediately reminded me of like the shining uh with kind of those long hallway very, shots a, a little more narrow of a hallway but but no it's very kubrickian uh yeah, yeah. i think he's got that's kind of one of his shot styles the way he frames entryways mm-hmm. and i mean he did it in 2001 he didn't with eyes wide shut there's a supercut video on uh youtube of all of those camera moves he does and that but that's yeah. some of his signature style um, felt very Hitchcockian. Sure. I mean, you're throwing terms yeah. like that around, that's pretty fucking high praise. Definitely. So, yeah, really enjoyed this episode. Where do we want to start with this one? Because it's got a lot of, kind of a lot of intertwined stories here. Well, we've been trying this new format where, and it's worked well for us, where we break it down by characters. Some, And I think we'll try that this week, too. Uh, but I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice um, if we did not start with the introduction because it's kind of the standalone thing that sets everything else in motion. And then we can kind of go into Gus and Molly, Lester and Lauren, that kind of thing. What do you consider the introduction? The tongue, the, the, the gaping maw anus thing that we tightly closed on. And you're thinking, my God, what the fuck is that? Until you zoom out for 60 seconds or so. And you realize it's a human's mouth. Okay. And we find out that Lauren apparently is a dentist now. Yeah, within a year, he has transitioned to the dental trade. Uh, in fact, do you think that he has actually picked up these skills and moved in, spent the last six months hunting this guy, trying to find his brother? Or has, did he have some dental skills before he got involved in this whole thing? Because it seems like that would take more than six months or so to learn to be a dentist. Well, my dad 
is a dental lab technician. He actually okay. is retired now, but he and he specialized in children's appliances, um, things like correct cleft, pa- cleft palates and repair after injury, things like that. But he would you know make braces and hollies and all those retainers and things like you know the mm-hmm. basically he's the eyeglass maker. Someone prescribes this particular thing, sends him molds of teeth, he made it. Uh, and I and I say this as background to say that dentists are weird dudes. <laughs> okay. My next door neighbor for ten years mm-hmm. was a dentist, and his wife was also a dentist. Weird dudes. I'm not saying all went dentists are. I'm just saying the set of dentists I've interacted with and had personal relationships okay. can be different. I mean. Who it, – it's kind of like the difference between a fireman and a firefighter or a fireman and a policeman. Like the fireman, everybody likes to see the bar and buy your beer and, you know, where the cops like motherfucking cops. You know, it's like different things. I mean people sometimes yeah. like doctors. They trust doctors. Almost no one says I love my dentist or I trust my dentist or I love seeing my dentist. I love okay. being hurt by these people. Sure, sure. So – you have to be willing to get into people's mouths and there's some nasty shit going on in there and inflicts pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, I think that's part of it. So can okay. – and I say all this. <laughs> this I is preamble. To, I yeah. keep having to digress. Stay with me. Okay. I say all this to say that I would totally buy – that Lauren was a frustrated dentist before and decided, this all went down. And much like Lester Nygaard was a frustrated insurance salesman, and he fell from grace and started being a hitman. Sure. However, six months is just about my line of credulity where I think a guy could pose as a dentist. Because you notice yeah, yeah. he was just kind of opening up the guy's mouth and looking around and poking. Sure. And, and, and the fact that he did actually hurt him with what looked to be a routine checkup. Yeah, uh, tells me that maybe he's not the best dentist. And and the the other reality is the dental assistants do so much of the work. True. I mean, at my dentist now, they fucking administer the shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 do everything except for the actual drilling. They diagnose. Right? Yeah, they they do the, everything the except for the actual drilling. And I yeah. might have think I think maybe one time they did even that. So hmm. uh, hope I didn't not get any of my in trouble, but. So I feel like that six months is just about the time, like a month. I think it'd be very easy to pose for a dentist as a, uh, in, a, in a month's time. To pose as a dentist in one month? Yeah, no, I'm just saying to come in as a month. Like, because what are your odds? The things that are really going to out you if someone comes in with a serious problem. Yeah. Like, a, need a root canal, or maybe he's just fucking pulling teeth left and right. I don't know. But I'm just saying that, like, I just wonder how hard it would be to impersonate if all you're doing is you get a couple cleanings and maybe some people that need fillings but they don't really quite know it yet mm-hmm. and you say yeah we'll keep an eye on it and go on about your business i don't i don't know there's also the question of whose dental practice is this is this lauren's dental practice is this Certainly Stephen not. root's dental practice no um it's cert- it feels like a professional like llp because he said man before you came here the practice was really dull so I feel like there's several dentists okay. that are probably cohabitating this or this professional building, sure, that, and kind of splitting everything. That sounds about right. Um, so, so what else do you want to talk about with the intro here? Because there's, how far does the intro go? The the stuff at his house, uh, well, just, the stuff just, just, at the hotel. Like, so, how so far does it go? So we're wondering why the fuck is Lorne practicing dentistry, and what we find out is Kansas City. 
And later on, there's a party at Lauren's house. We find out that he is uh, shacked up and, in fact, engaged to. Uh, I, I, it would be improper to call her a poor man's Heather Graham. Yeah. I, I would yeah. say moderately well-off man's Heather Graham. It's basically, yeah. Or Heather, a, a Heather Graham when she was... Like twenty years ago, yeah, like she was younger, roller girl era Heather Graham. Yeah, yeah. He's shacked up with that, um, and he's throwing a party, and we find out that this guy is so confident, and he's just dying for him to meet his brother, mm-hmm. who happens to be in witness protection, and that's the point where your kind of eyeballs click and like, oh, okay, that's what he's here for. He hasn't retired back to his. This is he's 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 working a job. Yeah, and they're going to go out in Vegas for a week, which we know. Okay, that's how we saw them meet last week. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a scene of him listening to a phone call of a man that's desperate claiming that you did this to me. I had a wife and a family, uh, that you got me all jumbled up when we started talking, tell my wife, I love her. And apparently he shoots himself in the head. Mm -hmm. It seems like he commits suicide and Lauren's listening to that. Some light listening. Sure. A very similar call to the one that he got from Lester. Certainly. The one that he was listening to before. Uh, it seems like he has a collection of these and that's kind of what we speculated at the time that we heard the first call. Uh, and he kind of gets off listening to these tapes. These tapes going to be significant, or is this just telling us something about Lauren? Uh, that's a really good question now, one episode out from the finale of this thing. Because if you'd asked me when I heard it the first time, and I think we talked about this, yeah, I think those are significant and are probably going to lead back to Lester um, as as the murderer. Now I'm not so sure about that. It seems like Lester is in enough hot water by himself being in that elevator when people were murdered. Right. Uh, being around someone who is clearly the same man that's in the screen, the the camera grab they have before. It seems like there's enough to reinvigorate that investigation, and Key and Peele are definitely on the case now. Uh, Yeah, so any other show, I'd feel like it would have to be significant. Yeah. But with one episode to go, and as you say, there is a lot of irons in the fire, it could be significant, but could I'm be. not to the yeah. level like, this has got to mean something, because I think it means something... You know, all to its own. And also, it does, yeah. I think we're going to be spending some time in the next couple of weeks talking about how this goes on from here. One of... From the finale? From the finale. One of these could be, Could we? would you be interested in a series of Fargo that revolves around the Lorne Files? Uh, maybe kind of his, maybe like, Sioux Falls, we go back that far, and well, maybe that's just, something that he Every did. season is a tape, or mm-hmm. a collection of tapes that fit together. And we have maybe Billy Bob Thornton introduces it, and maybe he's something that's got a shadowy background figure that moves through the episode. Not as big a role as he got as he has now. Maybe they cast a younger man. Hmm. But would you have like any interest in kind of the, the Lorne Files? Uh, yes, as a hook, I definitely would, but probably not as much as the money. Okay, as a hook. That's so... something we talked about. If you're not familiar with that theory, is that. Since the money is back at, in play, uh, one of the theories is that this is Fargo series is going to be around what happens to that money and its corrupting influence. Sure, and it's the only real direct link between the movie and the show. So far. Plot-wise, yeah. So far. Uh, anyway, they're in Vegas. Uh, Lester's feeling himself, and he introduces himself to Lorne. And Lorne just stonewalls him. I don't know you, sir. Plays that card. They get yeah. in the elevator, and uh, Lorne says when they get up to go, he says, walk away, in kind of his, like, serious Lorne voice. And you think that Lester's going to 
you know, discretion to better part of valor. But then you, uh, he stops the elevator, he jumps in, and he goes, nope, old Lester would have just walked away. New Lester's about saying, fuck you to your face. Yeah. Uh, what does he want from Lorne? Does he want I... acknowledgement, validation? Yeah, you're a badass now, kid. A pro job? Yeah, yeah, well, maybe all of the above. Uh, I think he definitely wants the validation. To say thank you? No, I think more he wants to show Lauren what he's become. Not yeah. necessarily thank him for turning him into that, but show him that he's not the same person anymore, and he's, in his eyes, better. Or if you go back to the first episode where he's like, sometimes you got to tell, show the other monkeys that you're a gorilla or still a gorilla. Mm, yeah. Uh, maybe he's like, hey, I'm, I'm wanting to go to the alpha silverback gorilla and sure. break eight a little bit. I mean, he is riding high off of his award win, so... There's the idea that maybe the award is, you know, bolstered his confidence to the point where now he wants to be the man. And, he's and got the some, only he's guy got who's ever in him. Well, the only guy who's ever, you know, kind of led him down this path that he hasn't, I think, got revenge on. Right. Is Lauren at this point. Because it seems like he runs the town sure. basically now. So Anyway, Lorne then flips a switch and turns into reptilian Lorne mode. He says, is this what you want, Lester? Yes or no? <laughs> so good. And Lester kind of briefly slides back into old Lester, but he mm-hmm. finally says yes. Whips out a silence pistol, kills everyone in the elevator except for Lester. Kills a moderately well-off yeah. man that's Heather Graham. Kills Stephen Root. Kills Stephen Root's wife. Yep. And it's gruesome. It is that. And uh, he said, you know, 100000 he goes, that's on you, Lester, but whatever. Uh, I've spent six months tracking this guy. I've gone through who knows how many gallons of human spit. I had a $100,000 <laughs> bounty go down the drain, uh, but whatever. Hey, help me with the fat guy's shoes. Less, as he bends down, Lester takes his award out and cracks him over the skull. Yeah. I love that that doesn't actually knock him out. Right. He Most shows, kind of like, he crumples on the floor passed out i think he says something like geez lester or <laughs> yeah let me ask you this because uh-huh. this is the turning point in the episode and we're going to pivot in and talk about uh, gus and molly here for a minute okay uh lauren calls after him see you soon. see you later see you soon um which is very fucking ominous what <laughs> was he going to do with lester uh was he going to induct lester into the hall of assassins <laughs> Was he going to use Lester huh. similar to spray tan? Like, well, as soon as you've helped me load all these guys into the dumpster and mm-hmm. help me clean up the thing, you know, shoot you too. I feel like that's where it was headed. Really? I think Lo- Lorne a is tan. a lone wolf. Like, he, he doesn't induct people into the Assassin Hall of Fame. He is the Assassin Hall of Fame. Uh, he doesn't need company there. Right. I just thought that maybe I'd be a next level if his, if his mission is to spread kind of and reap human misery mm-hmm. if a next level would be to find an acolyte. And you don't have to be with them. You know, it's something you can wind up and let go. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just felt like, you know, Lauren's done this before, so he's probably going to kill him. Well, I was wondering, because I was of two minds. I wasn't... It would It would be interesting if he did go in that, like, take him under the wing kind of thing and it would also but it sounds more like Lauren if it was going to go to spray tan route where he's going to get yeah. derive maximum utility from his predicament mm-hmm. and then dispose of him. Uh so let's talk about Gus and Molly for a bit. 
we actually open with them and we see that, you know, even more than last episode, they're really settled down into domestic life. They're eating at Lou's. Uh, they're doing small talk about Bill posing with a sword. Yeah. Somehow yeah. on the front page of the newspaper. That's awesome. I have no <laughs> idea what context that is. Doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> but that's that's Bill. He's at a law conference, so he's going to be out in the way for the majority of this episode. Uh, Lou really likes Gus. Uh, we find out that Lou and his Gus's daughter have kind of bonded over fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we kind of connect these two things together with uh, the fact that Molly gets a phone call where Lester has apparently reported, reported three murders happening and is an eyewitness to murders in Las Vegas. So at this point, we're thinking maybe Lester's trying to do the right thing and called the cops to you know stick him on Lorne. Is that what you were thinking? I was never thinking that. Eh, I was thinking that's a possibility. Okay. I suppose it would have been at that point. So uh, Gus gets up to, uh, or a little bit before then, he goes up to get on his route. On his route, he actually sees Lorne coming in a red beamer, passing him, mm-hmm. and definitely recognizes him. Or thinks he recognizes him. Sure. I don't think he's positive about it. But the thing just kind of, uh, you know, they kept on driving ships in the night or beamers in the day, whatever. <laughs> uh, we then see a scene of the FBI records room in Fargo or Key and Peel uh, or Budge and what is his name? I don't know. Key and Peel. Key and Peel. <laughs> uh, Man, I was actually going to try to learn their fucking names this time. Budge and Pepper. That's what it was. Budge and Pepper. Hmm. have no idea which is which. Hmm. Uh, but they, uh, an FBI agent comes up and requests to pull the syndicate file. And they find out who this person's been, just like we talked about last week, You know that this uh, Solverson's been calling. I f- thought it was funny that they immediately assumed that Solverson's a man. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Uh, but before that, they're sitting on the floor and they're talking about another riddle. It's the cabbage, the rabbit, and the fox. Are you familiar with this riddle? Sure. It's the first one, I think, of that I was familiar with right off the bat. And I looked it up just to make sure because I've always heard it as a a farmer, a, a wolf, a chicken, and a bag of grain. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, and I never heard the rabbit, cabbage, fox. But I figured it's the same. Looked it up. It is the same. Yep. What's the solution, Jim? Solution is to take the rabbit over first. That leaves the there's fox. Several, there's at least two solutions, I think. Sure, this... yeah. That, that leaves the fox and the cabbage, which the fox won't touch. Won't touch the cabbage. You come back to the, the fox side. You grab the fox. You bring him across. Before you come back, you put the rabbit in the boat. Yep. So the fox and the rabbit are not on the same side, unsupervised. Take him back to the other side, drop him off. Take the cabbage over to the fox. Go back, grab the rabbit, and take him over. Done. Boom. One a uh, key or peel because I don't know the men versus the characters apart either. Uh, <laughs> okay, he suggests yeah. that it's a that you could also do turducken style. Are you familiar sure. with the concept of a turducken? I've heard of a turducken. Yes. If, if you're not turducken, I believe is an invention or it became famous from John Madden talking about it during the Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> series of games on football. Wow! But it is a it is a duck stuffed into a chicken. That is then stuffed into a turkey, and you bake the whole thing, and when you slice it down like the breast line, you get a nice slice of turkey, chicken, and duck. It's a turducken. Okay. So he's like, you know, you stuff, you take the cabbage stuff in the, uh, in the rabbit, you take the <laughs> rabbit stuff in the fox, it's all uh, easy to go. You throw a handle, uh, you know, halt and catch fire style, you throw a handle on that fox, and you're good to go. Uh, 
this is important later on in the episode. <laughs> I just want you to remember that turducken imagery. Okay. So uh, they then meet her at Lou's, and we're kind of burying the lead here, I realize, but stay with us. She takes her back, them back to the office where they've got a slimmed-down version of the Crazy Carrie board from Homeland where she's made all the connections to Lorne and Lester Nygaard and the Fargo Syndicate and Wrench and Numbers and even the guy at the Lucky Penny that got killed. Yep. All this stuff is all there, and they're just like, wow, this is really uh, quality work. Bill comes back from the conference and <laughs> is like flummoxed that these FBI agents are wanting to talk to him, and he doesn't know what to think because they're just praising yeah. What he doesn't know is praise from Key and Peel. I don't care if one of them has a common day, uh, a, a, a commendation. Mm-hmm. They they haven't impressed me yet as investigators. No, I I mean they're kind of idiots. We're supposed to think that they're kind of idiots. Having them outside of the massacre uh, in uh, Fargo, yeah, is telling us that they're dumb, right? Or they're at least oblivious. Not maybe not dumb, but oblivious. Yeah, and the thing is, it's also Key and Peel, and I, I saw that uh, several other people had the same problem to where, you know, these are the guys that are all Liam Neeson's is my shit. Mm-hmm. It's when you cast the two of them into these roles, and they're kind of like nimwits to begin with, Yeah, it's hard to take them serious. Like, sure. I don't, and, and, but Molly's like almost near tears hearing someone take her seriously for the first time. And I don't know what we're as a viewer supposed to make of that. Is this going to be another rug pulled out from underneath her? That could potentially be true. Like, they're just not equipped in any manner to deal with this case. I feel like they're going to die next episode. And they, Molly, they could, yeah. And, and Molly's going to have to cowgirl up and, and take care of everything herself, maybe with Gus. Okay. I would love to see Gus get back in the game. It looks like he's starting to. I would. I, I don't. I don't want Gus to save Molly, though. So sure. Some people are no, like, I no, want no. Gus to be the hero. Gus can be heroic and do something, but I don't want him saving Molly. No, Molly's the hero Because Margie story. didn't fucking need saving. Molly certainly doesn't need saving. No. Hmm. Although it would have a nice symmetry with her, him sh- him shooting her. <laughs> yeah, making up for that. Yeah. But, you know, sure. I, I, I would prefer her, her save herself. Yeah. So then the next scene with Gus and Molly, and then we're pretty much done with them. Uh, except tangentially, is Gus looking on the full-on crazy board that Molly keeps at their house, and you can tell he's weighing, you know, he's looking at the different pictures of Lorne, and he's kind of weighing his options and what he should do. What do you think he's thinking, man? I think he's deciding whether or not he actually saw Lorne in that car, because Lorne looks very different. Uh, It would be hard in a, to spot him going by in a car with a glare on the windshield, when you're kind of only paying attention, not expecting to see anything out of the ordinary. But with, with Lester back in play? Because he knows that, right? Surely Molly's yeah. told him that. I feel like that he has decided it is Lester, but now he's trying to decide whether this is worth jeopardizing him and Molly's life together. Okay. I can see that. Um, do we Are we past the one-year anniversary of the Chief's death? I know it was a week away last episode. I don't know... How much time has elapsed? Because I'm not sure how the, yeah. the Las Vegas uh, plot line, how it interfaces in the real world. I mean, we're no more than a day past that. But I don't know, you know, was that... we? I assume we've got to be more than a day past Las Vegas because he has to take the time to fly back to yeah. Minnesota. They have to 
discover the bodies, which it looked like that elevator was pretty cleaned out. Mm-hmm. They have to report the crime. The crime has to make its way through the system and back to Molly. Oh, that doesn't take... Something like that doesn't take long at all. To get back to Molly? Yeah. Uh, if Lester... Call, if, so if, if the theory is that Lauren is the one that made the phone call, which is uh-huh. probably the correct theory, he could easily say, it's Lester Ny- Nygaard, he, uh, I live in Bemidji... Sure. Yeah. And I guarantee the police department first thing would call the Bemidji Police Department. And yeah, I guess that's the wild card. Lauren actually calls it in. Yes, and gives so. them enough information to, to then make go hunting on the life security interesting. Tape. Right. Yeah. Okay. Could be about a day then. So, but I, I still feel like that if they mentioned it last week, there's got to be something significant to that anniversary. Mm-hmm. And whether that's going to be like the closing shot of next week. Next week, did you know? 90 minute episode. Oh, cool. So we're going to get like an episode and a half to resolve things. Kind of like they did the first one. That was a yeah, pretty long episode, yeah. too. Kind of book. And I, I like the fact that they're just really giving them... I mean, every one of these episodes have been like an hour 15, hour 10. Yeah. I like that the uh, FX has given them the freedom to tell the story in the container that they... The size of container they need. Yeah, it feels like they might have had a 12-episode season and said, you know what? These chunk up better in this way. Let's hmm. let's make it ten and let's just go a little bit long on them. That's an interesting an interesting theory as well. Might be a little tidy to solve this thing on the anniversary of his death, though. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about Lester and Lauren. Lester is dragging a very confused. We're gonna go back in time a bit. Dragging a very confused girlfriend through the Las Vegas hotel down these long corridors, waiting an eternity for these elevator doors to open, and the whole time the tension. <laughs> uh, you know, on the drive home, getting into his house, and you know he's getting his. His his gun. He opens up his brother Chaz's hunting gear. Mm. Uh, big old bear trap in there. Yeah, call back to last episode. Check off bear trap, perhaps. I don't think so. I think Lorne is. Uh, uh, sorry, Lester is kind of on his way either out of the country or out of this series, out of this life. I don't think he's going to end up going back to his house and pulling out the bear trap and. You don't think so? He's not making no. it Acapulco, right? Can we agree? I, that? I'm pretty sure he does not make it out of. I'm pretty sure uh, too, Bemidji. which makes it think that. And there's there's maybe a little something to what Lauren said about numbers and wrench. Like you're the you're the closest anyone's ever got. I kind of wonder if maybe they're going. This is a passing of the torch. That Lester is it going to somehow be. outfox this guy, and we saw how cunning he is. Sure. In this episode. That maybe there will be some kind of a Home Alone style invasion at <laughs> oh, Lester's. Jesus. Uh, when know. does he drop the bowling ball down the stairs to? Right after the bear trap. <laughs> okay, he'll be uh, hopping on Lester. Lord will be hopping on one foot, and then the paint can come <laughs> smack. Does does the doorknob electrocute him, or is it really really hot? It's really really hot. It's got to okay. be burn. Electrocution's <laughs> not nearly as funny as a nice hand burn. Sure, no, I agree with that. Uh, uh, the other thing the bear trap could be is. The the reason it was brought up before is Lauren is telling the story of the bear who chewed off his own leg and got in the middle of the street and died, right? Sure. Like, yep. he tried to save himself and couldn't do it. So this is, a, that would be a callback to Lester, then. Lester's the bear. Uh, yes, Lester is the bear, but I Maybe think Maybe a badger. His... He's more of a badger. <laughs> sure. Not a honey badger, just a regular badger. But I think his chewing off his leg might be sacrificing his wife in this episode. Because he sees the bear trap. He sees his coat all mm-hmm. in the same scene, and he puts those two together, I think. I oh, mean, really? obviously, he didn't hear the story of the bear trap, but he's like, oh, I can set a... Uh, he might be setting a trap for me. 
I can get out of this if I bring this coat with me and maybe make my wife wear it. Okay. I feel like he had the inkling of an idea in that I do scene. think that, and we'll talk about how much of an inkling he had a little bit later. But I also think that Lester might just die in the street like that bear. Right. So Molly comes over uh, right as he's walking out the door to go to the office and pick up the passports and all that stuff. And she says, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, this is a terrible time. You can't go. He's about to dismiss her dismiss her when his wife Linda comes over and says, don't be rude. And Molly's like, well, I got to pee anyway. So next thing you know, she's in there. She's asking her goddamn questions. And Lester is just old school Lester making up shit. Yep. Interestingly enough, Linda backs his play totally. And does a lot to kind of, I guess, put Molly's suspicions at at bay. Mm -hmm. Although she's got to be on high alert with this guy, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. And if the security cam footage had come in, Game over for Lester. So she finds that as she's leaving, she says to Lester, hey, the Las Vegas Police Department is sending over their footage, which, of course, of course, all these elevators have cameras. Of course, yeah. Ask Jay-Z and Solange Knowles. And simultaneously that she gets a phone call that says the FBI guys guys came over and they're going to be looking at her at Lou's. And she's backing up. When she notices Lester making eyes at her out of his blinds, that, of course, is weird, creepy behavior that's going to be noticed. Sure. Uh, Lorne shows up. I think this is the point where Gus sees him, but Lorne is on the way to Lester's old house, finds out that some nice family has moved in. Uh, He's got his knife out. He was going to fucking kill Lester right in front of his family. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like that's not the most important thing. We know he wants to kill Lester at that point, sure. But right in front of his family, like Lester, Lord. Oh yeah, give no, a he shit. sees the kids, assumes that they're Lester's. Yep, uh, and didn't give a shit. But I think also just as importantly, he completely fucks with this family before he leaves for no reason. For absolutely no reason, he has no reason to terrorize these people, but he does it anyway. Yeah, and I think. You know, we had been talking about this kind of in, I think it was episode three or something, when he fucked with the kid at the hotel and he listened to the tape recording. Well, he does both of those things again this episode. That's just the kind of guy he is, right? Like, I I was kind of questioning that. Maybe there was an ultimate purpose for the stuff he did there. No, no. It seems like he was just shitting on people. He's an agent of chaos. Yeah, is one way to refer to him. And yeah, he doesn't care. He just is he's sowing chaos and destruction and death wherever he goes. And he gets off on it. I mean, those tapes. He does. He certainly does. And that's the thing. Like this guy I feel like he's like the Joker from the Nolan Christopher Nol- Nolan the Batman. The Nolan Bushnell the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, it's like the at one point the Joker says you know, I don't give a shit about money. Gunpowder's cheap. Gasoline's cheap. Yeah. Bullets are cheap. <laughs> and I think you can say the same thing about Lorne. Like, he lives a very austere lifestyle and is very comfortable roughing it, sleeping at shitty motels, but he's also not above go, you know, basking in opulence when that's going to suit his mean. But I mm-hmm. feel like that this is the reason he gets up in the morning is to fuck with people. It really does feel like that. He is, like, bored with the game he's playing, so then he starts amping up the stakes. That's I think that's one of the reasons he's sloppy. I think it's one of the reasons he's showy. Uh-huh. That he feels like he's so good that he just doesn't give a shit. Sure. I'm with you. We'll see if his pride is his undoing the way it looks like Lester's is. Uh, so he fucks with that. He finds that Lester has his own practice. He drives past that kind of menacingly. 
Uh, and it seems like everybody is on this collision course at lose. And here's another point where the tension just really amps up. Uh, meets at, uh, at Lou with Lou, um, starts chatting him up, mentions that, hey, uh, we used to be an ex-police officer, which I think we kind of knew about that, but this is the longest they've certainly talked about it. Sure. Uh, he talks about his daughter's or husband because he recognizes Gus, if not Molly. And uh, they start kind of like swapping bullshit from their olden days. Yeah. And Lou starts talking about the Sioux Falls, which we know that Gus's lieutenant also uh, has some rather non-fond memories of. Yeah, it was a, and, a massacre. And, and the music, man, the music in these <laughs> scenes, like they just keep ramping up the tension. Mm-hmm. And uh, the couple significant things go by. We talk about the final Sioux Falls happened over the course of three days. Mm-hmm. And happened back in seventy nine. Happened think they back said. in seventy nine, and it left a stack of bodies that, if you stack them up high, you they would reach a second story window. Yeah, so that's a lot of bodies. A lot of bodies. Does this tie in to Lauren's story about the longest time he ever stayed up? The first time he did methamphetamine. Oh, man. Because it's a three-day rampage, and he said as long as I've ever been up is five days. And let me tell you, after that thir- third day, things got really crazy or something to that. Sure. Is this and, – and there was something of recollection when when that guy mentioned – have you ever been to Sioux Falls? Mm-hmm. I just wonder if a – you know, Lauren would be in his mid to early 20s, about medical – you know, starting medical school or dental school age – I'm not saying he's a dentist, but I wonder if this is his sure. way of weaving some of his personal details. Yeah, it's hard to say. I can't tell how old he's supposed to be in this show because 79 would have been 20, 31 years ago. Well, it's in 2007, that timeline, right? Or I guess 29, 21 years ago. Yeah. Right. In that timeline, I think it's 2008. Right. So whatever. 79, uh, He's he's got to be at least... 21 uh I, I don't know it's hard to say i think there's a reason that they put it in this scene it'd be 28 years ago billy bob i don't know how old is billy bob thornton he's in his 60s right i hear he's 58 so okay. that would make him the person 30 at that time but so let's so he could be playing that i mean it seems like this is uh it would put lorne in his mid-20s somewhere around that age yeah right around the same time he's talking about this hyped up on amphetamine story and and staying up for that many days we know and he why, operates in the area. And why would Lou mention it to him unless we, the audience, are supposed to make a connection here to which something? Is, which is another thing. Like, would uh, there's another hook that you could have for a second season is the Lorne Files, and you talk about what happened in Sioux Falls. And maybe that sure. somehow, maybe that would explain how, um, shit, it wasn't Lundergaard. Um, oh, fuck. It's the guy that got killed in far. He's the the, the father, the of father, the wife, the father-in-law, yeah, father-in-law of Jerry Lundegaard. Uh, yeah, I don't remember his name. It doesn't matter for sure. the point of the point we're trying to make, which is I wonder if they went back and told that story, and that was the origin story of that guy. Was it Gustafsson? Anyway, yeah. would that be interesting? <laughs> so it's it's kind of a Lauren Files, and it's an easy way to recast Billy Bob's character. And it would show sure. how the money originated, and then they could have a final wrap-up series. Because this feels like if they do it, it's maybe three seasons and they're out. And then you could okay. have like what the ultimate disposition of the money, how the or how the money or originated. Then Fargo, the movie's the story of its next day t- phase. 
This mm-hmm. is the story of its second, their third phase, and then you'd have the origin story, and then the dis- final disposition where the money is burned at the end. Something the curse yeah. is lifted. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would totally be, be behind. That. Totally down for that. Yeah, especially if it involves more Lauren because he's a character that I've really enjoyed watching, despite okay. how horrible he is. All right, so I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we're both in on this. Um, however, there's there's another thing for those people keeping a track of the evidence that Lauren might be a supernatural entity. He mentions that he hasn't had a, ta- a slice of apple pie that good since the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And also there's this one of those Kubrickian shots of him standing in the when he when he he's like all it's all blackness and he's standing in the doorway of the elevator kind of wreathed in light and the headshots behind him are the blood stains are rising from his shoulders like two bloody wings like a fallen angel like Lucifer if we're going to put not too fine a point on it. Sure. I don't think either one of you are down with the idea that he's literally a supernatural force. But I, are you? Yes. Are, okay. Would you be fine if it turned out that he was? There's more broader hints that he was a supernatural force. Uh, and are you fine with the kind of subtle hints that they're playing about him being evil or devil-like? That's what I'm fine satanic. with. Satanic. The the idea that he is a force of evil, like we've talked about the Cohen brothers sticking in other movies and other works, I think that's perfectly fine. And if you want to imply that with imagery. Uh, saying that he is like the devil, saying that he is uh, a mean, bad person. So you're fine with him being I'm satanic. I'm okay with that. No, you don't I'm want not him fine. To be Satan. I'm not fine with him being supernatural in any way. Right. Be he is evil. He okay. is evil. He is okay. a very, very bad person who is only there to cause chaos and harm. Okay. Fine. But he does not have superpowers. Right. So. This show, this scene kind of climaxes with Lorne going out the front door at the exact same time as the music's crescendoing with Molly yeah, coming yeah. in the side door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lou, of course, not giving any information. And you can, and, and Key and Peel are coming in the front door. They must run into Lorne. And it's maddening because you can see him backing out and taking off as the conversation between Key and Peel and Molly takes place. Sure. And she finds out, you know, what they're after and orders coffees to go. And then, you know, we we know what happens with them. Uh, Lester is on the road with his wife, Linda. And she's talking about how she first got her start. She was working as a maid at a hotel. And she talks about uh, the incident where a guest made a BM, a bald move. <laughs> it's a common slang in the, in, the, in the hotel industry. Sure. Made a bald move between the mattress and the box spring. And basically that she had this shitty, shitty life, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. And she prayed, she dreamed about this man sweeping her off her feet and taking her to a better life. And here's Lester taking her to Acapulco. Sure. Quite impulsively. And... Uh, so Lester is driving by his, and this is at nighttime by the, at this time, driving by his office. He sees a lamp lit, which apparently is something he didn't leave. So he pulls across the street in a dark secluded, and he says, you know, honey, I've pulled my back putting that luggage. Would you mind, and my back's hurt. Would you mind going in and picking that stuff up? Mm-hmm. Then says, you know, and it's so cold because he, he rushed her out before she get her jacket. It's so cold. Why don't you wear my jacket? And he's like totally MacGrubering this woman. Okay. If you don't get the reference, you should watch the MacGruber film. But he's he's dressing him her up like a mini version of Lester Nygaard. She goes in, gets her brain splattered on the wall, and Lorne checks, sees that it's not, in fact, 
Lester walks out. Does he see Lester? I don't think so. Because we see a mm-hmm. POV shot of him, and there's nothing indication. There's no indication that a human being is there in that car. Lester is kind of ducked down or whatever. Yeah, or it's too dark to see. Maybe. I, and yeah. so, and also, Billy tell. Bob just lit a cigarette, so his night vision is destroyed. <laughs> That's not a True. joke. Yeah, yeah. So he just destroyed his night vision, and he walks off. I feel like if if he knew Lester was there, he would go and do something to him. Sure. That's what I thought too. Because he's in he's in just straight up kill you mode. Yeah. Uh, unless, do you buy the theory that less that that Lorne knew that that wasn't Lester? Uh, before he shot before her. Before he shot her. No, I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that. And I think him leaning down to check mm-hmm. is the evidence for it, um, uh, or against it. Sorry. Yeah. So no, I, I think he. Killed her, realized that it wasn't Lester. If he knew it wasn't Lester, I think Lauren's the type of person that would grab her face out the window and smile as he shot, you know. <laughs> He'd do it, like, to make sure Maybe, that Lester yeah. knew that he was not fooled. I assume he probably knows that Lester is close by, um, which is why he's kind of checking out his surroundings, hanging out there for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no indication as to what he's going to do next. He kind of walks off at the end, but he right. could be going around the back. Yeah. Um, he could be taking the long way around to that car to yep. see what's in it. We don't, we don't know. It cuts away at that point. I was wondering, because, you know, this is the kind of tense episode we had. Uh, I was actually wondering if Lester was going to try to get to drop on him. Sure. That he'd left the car and circled around back and he was going to, you know, that was going to be the the cliffhanger we have the episode on that he was going to stick up Lauren basically for, for all the shit that he pretended uh, to be building up to at the beginning of this episode, he's scared shitless at the end of this. He's not in, I'm going to sabotage this thing and like kill Lauren. He's he's in like Lauren has got the upper hand and I need to run. And, but he's got this and he's got this, this animal cleverness and this survival instinct. Mm -hmm. And, He's it's he's got this kind of like Walter White thing going, where yes he is scared shitless, but his mind's going a million miles a minute, and he's coming up with like a lot of people the the Lester Nygaard rooting for him to succeed as a bad guy bandwagon, the axle broke, a wheel fell off, it flipped over seventeen times, fell in a canyon, sunk through ice, and then exploded. <laughs> Uh-huh. Killing twenty four children. It, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, and again, fictional characters, man. You can care about them, not care about them. Root it is not hurting nobody. So sure. I'm not going to try to talk you out of it. But a <laughs> lot of people found like that was beyond the pale that he would send his adoring, doting. That's the thing. That's almost the comically difference. so, wife. Yeah. In there as a decoy. Sure. His first wife. Yeah, okay, maybe he murders her. Then it's not a horrible thing to do. Right. Uh, second wife, yeah, that was terrible. I, I know that he was willing to cheat on her last episode, but there's a lot of guys willing to cheat on their wives that are not willing to use them as bait. Or he just to didn't murder give them. a shit about, <laughs> like, this guy's a psychopath, a sociopath. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. We got one more, we got 90 more minutes of this. Yeah. What the fuck? Um, we got a lot of feedback because... You know, Fargo's really finding its footing. Um, Before we get to the feedback, I want to ask you one more question. No, I got, I, I, I've got one, too. <laughs> okay. So you shit me, you go first. All right. Last episode, the bear trap was introduced, and it was introduced to Numbers? To Wrench? Wrench. It was Wrench. Uh, and he told them that when you heal up, come on back and find me. Yep. 
Do you think that's going to happen in this last episode? Not enough. Not enough time. Okay, I, I can get behind that. If they want to bring the whole gang, whoever's surviving the season, back in season three as part of the, um, you know, final disposition, the denouement of the money, if you will, mm-hmm. um, I would be fine with that. All right, but no, nah, I I think that was just a an epic shine on. Yeah. I uh, got some feedback about that, so we can talk a little bit more in a bit. Oh, okay. I'm going to ask you something. We've talked about – let me ask you something, Rick. Uh, we've talked about the golden age of television and what mm-hmm. caused the golden age of television. There's lots of causes and what makes this so special. High def doesn't hurt. Sure. The rise of HBO, like, you know, I, I think this is the key thing is that networks and HBO at the same time kind of decided to – we're going to back – creative individuals that have the singular vision and focus and we're going mm-hmm. to step out of way we're going to let them tell the stories they want to tell we're not going to give them notes we're not going to interfere and we're going to see what happens and what's happened because it was stagnant before yeah there was just a bunch of shit on nobody well, liked there was there was open speculation of whether scripted television would die yeah because of and reality, reality TV would be the new wave. It seems ridiculous now to think that we wouldn't have Breaking Bad and Mad Men and all that. But that's the golden age of television. We got Mad Men. We got Sopranos. We got sure. Deadwood. All of them. You know, you, you, you know as well as I am. And dude. the other big contributing factor, in my opinion, one of the major ones to making television so good is cutting back the number of episodes in a season. 24 episodes, you get a lot of bullshit. Yes. Like, look at Lost. It was a fucking drag in 20, the middle of every look, single look season. Look at 24. Brilliant. Even the first three seasons, there was <laughs> always a four to six hour stretch of yeah. bullshit. And you wonder if 24 was 12, how much better it would have been. We're finding out this season. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean. Maybe bad example. But Everything is going to like an eight to 16 max. However long it needs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's Golden Age of Television. Noah Hawley wrote, he created this series and wrote every fucking episode Mm -hmm. by his lonesome. Like a Pizzolatto. Nick Pizzolatto, True Detective, wrote and conceived everything. And we've got these two kind of Fabergé egg of seasons. And they're standalone. There's no pretensions of it. Is this... And 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 it's, it's no mistake that they're also the best rookie shows we've seen so far. Year still, we still got half a year to go, but sure. far and away, Fargo and True Detective probably going to make it to everybody's top five lists. But if you just if you just say, you know, best rookie seasons, yeah. hands down, sure. Is this the platinum age of television where they're going one <laughs> step further? Where it's like, okay, I don't want um, Vince Gilligan. Mm-hmm overseeing a writer's bullpen and kind of nudging with the vision. I want one single genius to completely intricately plot this and really pour in. I mean, it's, it's kind of a yeah. further refinement of the golden age. Are we seeing like a platinum age? Are we going to see more of this where it's like, we're not going to turn over to a showrunner. We want the option of season and have you write the whole fucking thing out. And when you're done and you've got it ready to go, then pick your directors that you want to work with and do this thing. Yeah, no, I like that model a lot. It gives you time to really flesh out the scripts and get them put together in a way that makes a lot of sense, in a way that can be more closely tied throughout the series. Right. And I think, you know, these are freshman shows, like you said. It's going to be interesting to see if they can continue any of that steam into the future seasons. 
because season one is kind of the opportunity you get to sit back on a script for 10 years, sit back sure. on this idea, think about it. I mean, that's what Vince Gilligan did with Breaking Bad. Sure. He had been thinking about it for Since years and years and yeah. years. So you get that opportunity in season one when you're making this miniseries. Now when they say, okay, we've optioned series two and three. Can you make magic happen twice? Can you do it? And, we and don't that's know. the question, yeah. And I don't know that I care. Like, if, you know, maybe the Platinum Age is just these one-shot wonders, which I'm fine Those with. are nice because a season two True Detective with a new cast, new setting doesn't spoil season one for me. No. They're uh-huh. almost like separate shows. It could crash and burn and be a steaming pile of shit, and True Detective season one is still amazing. Yeah. Same thing with Fargo season two. Mm-hmm. In a way that Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Walking Dead or not. Like, it was entirely possible for Vince Gilligan to fuck up season five slash six in a way that we'd all be like, ooh, that's yeah. kind of a turd. Sure. Uh, same thing with Matt Wiener. There's a way that I, it's, it's harder for him, mm-hmm. you know, kind of perversely. There's a way that this could ultimately feel unsatisfying because, you know, you get viewers investing seven, eight years of their lives into this shit. They want closure. Sure. For True Detective, it's like this, you know, 10-episode dash and same thing with Fargo. So I, I don't know. I'm excited. I hope the networks are seeing this and, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the one thing. Why did they want 22 to 23 to 24 episodes? Because that's the way they always did it. That was their sure. season model. That's what allows you to get, if you can get... Th- get the sweeps get, week and all this shit. If you can get three seasons, you get the syndication, and then the big money starts rolling in, baby. Well, yeah. HBO's like, well, fuck that. We don't care. And they went to this model. Maybe the next model is, why are we doing seasons? <laughs> why are we doing sequels? This is Hollywood yeah. shit. Let's just do the one season, do it right. Mm-hmm. I would love where it fits for that. To but it doesn't happen. seem like they're containing themselves to that. The one season do it right mentality goes out the window when they see the bucks. Then it's like, let's expand this. Let's make it three, four, five seasons. But they can't go back and fuck up the free. They can't. No, you're right. So, so. that's why I think that's the difference. Like, yes, they can always option sure. a season two, but this story is closed. It's got full closure. It's fully contained. Yeah. If you like our Fargo podcast, please know that the only reason you're hearing it is because Jim and I are able to do this full time starting this year. We took a leap of faith. Jumped out there, kind of crowd surfing style, hoping that uh, you, the people, would lift us up. And we've been rewarded for that faith so far. And if you'd like to find out how you can continue to support us, go to subbable.com slash baldmove. It's a voluntary subscription site where you can pledge us bucks, either one time or return, uh, recurring. And you get, in exchange, every dollar you spend goes into a perk bank that you can exchange for a bunch of different merchandise and valuables. Uh, we've had a run of commissioned the podcasts yeah those are fun those are fun we did one for joel for metalocalypse we just did one this week that's going to release probably tomorrow for the 1997 film the sweet hereafter ali Mm -hmm. uh option us to do that but yeah you can pick uh you can pick up to two three episodes of television or a feature film and we will write a custom podcast you can tell us what you want feedback on we'll do it upright uh, but there's a lot of stuff in between there, too, that's kind of unique and interesting. And, again, it helps us make these fantastic con- uh, podcasts that you're otherwise enjoying for free. So if you can find it in your heart to do that, subbable.com slash baldmove. Another way you can help that doesn't cost you anything, hey, if you're shopping on Amazon anyway, amazon.baldmove.com. Memorize that link. Use it every single time. And what happens is we will get a tiny cut of whatever is in your cart. And it doesn't cost you anything. It's not a hidden fee. It's just something that we get right from the Amazon bank. And it's wonderful. And if you can't do any of those things, this is totally free. You have to have iTunes, which I understand it's it's a hell beast. <laughs> uh, but 
you can rate and review us on iTunes because that's the best way we can find uh, to expand our fan base. And barring that, always uh, share us, like us, retweet us, uh, try to get your friends and family infected with the brain, the bald move brain bug. And we are internally grateful for all of your support uh, on all these efforts thus far. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Let's move on to feedback. Jesse K said, uh, he, meaning Lester, is going to go get his passport and he'll be dragged out of an airport bathroom just like Jerry in the movie. <laughs> I like that as a prediction. Sure, yeah. I, but there's a lot of implications in that. I think that what clear implication is he kills Lorne. Okay, I was going to say Lorne drags him out of the bathroom. <laughs> oh. That could happen. Okay, so it's not police. But, but Lorne doesn't know where he's going. Unless, no, the ticket is in that coat, isn't it? No, surely not. He didn't send her in with the ticket. I don't know. The That's... plane tickets might be in that coat. You I remember me, man. I remember he stuffed them in his pocket in the kitchen in that coat, but I don't know if he took them out afterward. Hold the phone, because okay. we need to talk about some other bullshit that I want to dismiss, because uh, okay. I would rather not get email on it. Oh, please, there's a, yes. There's a Reddit theory that Jim and I both think are laughable that uh, Lester was intending to use his wife as a decoy the entire time. Mm-hmm. Because when we see him print the two tickets, we just see Lester Nygaard one way trip to Acapulco. Sure. Okay. That's what it shows on the computer screen. That's what it shows on the screen. However, if you notice in the side, there's a scroll bar. Yeah. I'm sure on the net you're familiar with the scroll bar. And below, if you scroll down, there's a a room just enough for a second ticket that yeah. he could be printing. See exactly the half of the screen worth of scrolling. And so people are so. saying, well, he printed two of the same tickets just to kind of throw her off guard, blah, blah, blah. What's the point of that? It, indeed. Because here's a couple evidence against. Number one, that is a possible circumstantial evidence to support your theory, but there's nothing else to support it. And I here's think there a couple are things evidence to kind of contradict it. Contradict it. Yes, I mean, he did have the coat. I do think that that was a possible plan that he had. The printer printed why, two sheets of paper. If he was intending to kill her or have her killed the whole time, mm-hmm. why did he go to Acapulco? Why wouldn't he go to someplace else? I mean, what if Lorne got his hands on her and tortured her? And the reaction when the, she's killed. And the reaction when he was he driving by the office and saw that there was a light there. This wasn't a, ah, it was like, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I inflected properly the difference between <laughs> a knowing, a knowing uh-huh. aha and a surprise scared aha, but that's the difference. Yeah, I think that theory is bonkers. I'm not going to say it's bonkers because it would not surprise me if it was true and maybe they allude to that next episode. But I'm saying that there's people building elaborate lattice works of theories as that as the linchpin. Yeah. It's way too premature for that. At have at best, it. Have at it if you want to do it. But it's an yeah. assumption that's being made. And we're aware of it, so I just want want you guys to know that we're we didn't miss it. We just didn't think much of it at this point. Yeah. Uh Brett R said whenever Aaron wants to give an episode a score higher than ten it must get a wink aces double gun finger score. <laughs> You're going to wear down your fingers during the last season of Mad Men. Wink aces double gun finger score. Aces. <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's it's a nice nice signature. Very uh fantastic Mr. Foxian. Mhm. Mike Jones in the last podcast, Aaron mentioned how the show needs to answer what happens to the grocery store king. If they don't come back to that, then what was the point? I do like that next week is an extra long episode, presumably filling in his thought that that'll give us time to address that if they want. Um, I'm cautiously backing away from that assertion. I think you should. I think the, the with idea... With the provo... Oh, boy. <laughs> ...that it's going to be kicked into 
a next season Ooh, as a way so. to hang that money because otherwise there that was just a filler plot. It was just another Lorne, another Lorne was fucking with him. Right. Yeah. That Lorne went... does that. Lorne goes around fucking with people and if he get, goes on an epic fucking like he just did with Stavros and with uh But if we never see uh, that cash again, Chump. If we never see that cash again or if this was just a single season shot that went nowhere, I you could it's fair to argue that that was filler. I think it fleshes especially out his character since, plenty. Especially since I think the shit with the king and the plagues and, and the spray tan, easily the weakest material of this season. Not even I'm not even going uh, to the fish storm either. Really? You think so? It's not doesn't hold a candle to Lester, Molly, Gus, Lorne. Oh God, no. All right, I'm not backing that statement, but Okay, okay. that's my I, I think opinion. it has its place in the series to flesh out Lorne more as a character, but Okay. I mean, I'm getting on board with the idea that Lauren as a character did not give a shit about meeting up with him and, and getting that money mm-hmm. and would never revisit that or do because how does he know if the guy just stiffed him? Sure. Or, you know, because that would be something I think Lauren wouldn't let. I mean, the fact that he doesn't even follow up on that lead does bother me a little bit. However, if it turns out that the money is found next season, that kicks off season two, or maybe we delay that to season three. I, it's one of those things where. I can't even say at this point it would bother me because it would be retrospectively bother me that if they never get it through in like three seasons of Fargo, if the king never comes back, it bothered me a little bit, but not nearly as much as the goddamn fish storm. And I've almost forgotten that. <laughs> what about? Oh, that's funny because you said, "Oh God, it ruins the whole series for and me." I said potentially. Yeah, potentially. Uh, what do you think about the idea that maybe that has been resolved in the background over the year break, and? Uh, Lester, or sorry, Lauren has used that money to kind of build this fake lifestyle. You better fucking show me. Yeah. Because that's horror. I hate... No, I'm, I'm with you there. That's certainly. The big, but that was... I'm asking if it turned yeah, out no. to be that way in the final no, episode. Like, again, just let, as long as you let me in, it's just going to be a wink and a nod, mm-hmm. uh, Holly. I don't need to be spelled out for me, but I need something. Okay. It's got to be at least a blurry shot of a Lily of the Valley pot. Or I gotta a newscaster something. explaining how fish fall from the sky the next episode. That didn't help. I knew that fish could fall from the God damn, shut, Most shut the people fuck did up. not. Well, if you listen to this podcast, you did, because yep. we did that research. It's true. Jasmine P. said, can anyone shed light on why Lester baited Lauren in Vegas at all? Why not leave good enough alone and be happy you got away? I get that he's done a 180 in his life and feels invincible in his small town, mm-hmm. but I can't figure out why he would grab the dog by its tail, knowing this particular dog is nothing like anything he's ever encountered and has a history of not only biting but killing those he bites. Before you answer, the you know reference to dogs, did they sniff their own butts around Lorne, another you know buttressing of, of uh, Eric... Uh, our resident Fargo file, who stiffed us this week. He's on assignment. Yeah. No have a bump from him. Another another evidence of Lorne is the black dog, a theory. Uh, having said that, why? Why did Lester do this? We- well, I think I talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he just, like he said, felt invincible, wanted to prove who he was now to Lorne. I don't think and we just re- show him. Yeah, but we don't really know everything that went in. I mean... That's part of it, the liquored up part of it, the sure. fact that this, maybe he's still a little guilty. He might be. He's probably, 
I feel like he wants to show that he's not afraid of Lorne, but why? That uh, I don't no know why at that point. Afraid of the ocean, man. <laughs> There's no shame being afraid of a tornado. Like some things are bigger than you are, sure. and the smart man says it doesn't make your dick smaller to turn, you know, yeah. to recognize that. That's, uh, that's what I think. Okay. It is maddening, though. Um, Dana C. said, A note on Jim's qualm with the Lauren's bear trap analogy from last episode. Uh, it's more bear tra- trap talk. Okay. I got the impression that Lauren was referring to himself as the bear and letting Wrench know that he would have chewed his own arm off to escape from a situation where he felt caught. Not sure if this was meant hmm. to be a concession for the death of numbers or just further explanation of why Lauren came out unscathed. But I think the angle fits with their whole interaction. But the bear dies in the street. Yes, but I do think it could be a way of like Lauren shining this guy on. Like a true predator would not be sitting here in his fucking bed meekly accepting his. But he would, regardless rather, of a kill, he'd rather he die him. on his own terms, and that's what I sure. would do. And I'm bigger and better than you by extension. Yeah, I didn't I get that. that, and I don't even think Dana quite made the connection there. But it helped me, and I think that's another certain element of of that. Yeah. Um, they continue because I'm sure Dana. That could go either way. It could be a girl or a boy. Sure, Dana White. Dana White, UFC. He's a dude. President. Yeah, he's definitely a dude. He's a dude, dude. <laughs> yeah. I also had a thought on how Lester's brother storyline might pay out, considering hmm. the fact that he was a wrongfully convicted killer and is likely being held in state correctional. Is it possible? Just possible that he might cross paths with another known inmate, one named Jerry Lundegaard, perhaps. <laughs> as much as. Uh, the end of the last episode wow. seems to foreshadow a final throwdown between Lester and Lauren. I'd be just as satisfied if some other character were the architect of Lester's undoing, and I think it would be a fitting nod to the movie if they were able to connect those threads somehow. <laughs> Juicy. What do you think, Jim? That those are that's the hardest button to button, man. I I don't know. There's so <laughs> how many that would ways. Help. So many ways they could weave the original Fargo into this universe. There are, but to what end? Like. Does Jerry help his uh, help Lester's brother find out how, what really happened? Like I don't know. None of those characters have anything to do with this plot. It, Not a damn thing. There is the one bridge, and are they going to build others? And are they going to weave more of the show's mythology? To. They don't need to, but they can. It could be. It could they be could. part of a hook for next season. I just don't know how, like, you're talking about not enough time to bring back Wrench. I'm, there's not enough time to make a connection to a movie that's meaningful in any way to come back I don't next think season. Enough, I don't think there's enough time for them to, for this to impact the plot. Do I think this could be the okay. final 60 seconds of an episode? Yeah. That maybe. maybe Lester's going to jail, or maybe Chaz is sitting in jail, and he turns to the side and it's William H. Macy. At aged, grizzled-looking <laughs> William H. Macy. And uh, maybe it's just a one-shot gag. I totally think Bill yeah. would be down for that. Sure. Um, it doesn't even have to go anywhere. It could just be a, a, a wink. Yeah. It could be a, a wink and two f- th- thumbs. I'm okay with that, but him coming in and like saving the day or changing any of this plot doesn't make sense to me. All right. Pablo L. said very early on, we see Lauren's real essence is to undoubtedly fuck with people. Well, he's a very talented hitman, as shown by his accomplishments throughout the series, but because of his talents and the ease at which he completes his assignments... Like any other talented person doing what they do best, over and over they become bored. Hence the ever-loving passion of fucking with people that Lorne possesses. So my theory on Lorne and the King is simple. Starvos hired Lorne to find the blackmailer, which he did, and proceeded to fuck around some more. I believe that Lorne never intended to pay 
get that money. He just saw an opportunity to pull his biggest prank yet. Ultimately, he delivered the blackmailer or dealt with him and went on his merry way. That's a subtle yeah. change to our plot. That he was assigned to take out the blackmailer, yeah. which he did. He did. And then he didn't care about what happened to the money after that point. That makes total sense. Yeah. To the point where I almost he just think wanted it's to correct. fuck with yeah, like I, I'm told, So now I'm almost fine with the king. I mean, I do think we need to know what happens to the money because I do strongly suspect. The money's buried as far as we know. That's fine. Yeah, but I've seen interviews with uh, the showrunner um, and uh, with Noah and uh, the executive producer and the head of FX where they kind of hint that maybe the money is the key to further, further seasons. So mm-hmm. it's still out there. Yeah. Regardless um, of what happens, or if we even hear of it again this season, it's still out there, and we know it. Certainly. Tyler from Michigan said, Did Lester really do that? What a fucker. I was rooting for him a little, kind of like Walter White. A little. But sitting his adoring wife to slaughter after she covered up for Vegas. The Vegas lie is about the lowest thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. You speak for a lot of people, Tyler. Oh, yeah. Uh, quite a bit of feedback, quite a few things on Facebook, and even more on Reddit of people washing their hands. Yeah, a lot of them a lot of them basing their hate around the idea that he printed up one ticket and was never going to take her. I don't even think you need that. Right. He sent her in there oh, knowing she was Oh, that's a bridge was... too far, Jim. You yeah. just you you double you double ticket a single ticket to, to yeah. rope her in like that. Forget that ain't about right. It. That's not right. Yeah, the, the She outcome... puts on that coat, it's on her. <laughs> <laughs> yes or no? Do you want the coat? <laughs> <laughs> but copying a ticket, that's that's dirty and underhanded. Sure, so you don't need that. Uh, Lauren and Lou won the best moments on TV. Uh, did you know that Lou's played by Keith Carradine? Uh, now that you said it, it makes sense. Sure. Uh, plays Wild Bill on uh, Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Has played epic badasses. His brothers, of course, Kill Bill. Yeah, David uh, Carradine. Yeah, Carradine. I like I I like them because he. I feel like Lou. Gave Lauren no quarter. Like, Lou was not intimidated by this guy at all. Sure. Well, he's about as intimidated as, as, say, a man of faith is intimidated by a tornado. Okay. Like, yeah, I respect, I definitely see that you're a dangerous thing, but I I fear not the shadow of the valley of death Uh kind of of fear, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Anyway... He says, my stomach was in knots as soon as I saw the BMW pull into the diner, and that topper was, uh, made me think about the show all day. I haven't had pie like that since the Garden of Eden. I was not on board of the whole unstoppable evil thing or the supernatural aspect. I, in fact, I thought it would have put me off if they went that way, but in that one scene, they made me hope like hell that they go for it. Mm. Nope. Nope. I don't need the devil in my Fargo. Thanks. I don't need it, but <laughs> depending on how they handle it, I mean, shit. The fish storm didn't put me off of it. Yeah. If, if like I said, if he erupts into a cloud of black flies, mm-hmm. that might be a little much. <laughs> but if he just like impossibly disappears at the end of the next episode with no trace and mm-hmm. strongly implies that he's evil, I don't know if his eyes glow yellow. I mean, I could get that. Little porcelain horns poke out underneath his comb over. Sure, yeah. I could see that. I wish this was Please on video because no. I'm doing the horns. Yeah. Michael H. said, What was Lester thinking when he confronted the BBT, the deadly BBT in Las Vegas? Everything is going great for him. If he'd seen, if I'd seen Malvin at a restaurant, I'd have done a cool 180 and then banged my hot Asian wife back in the hotel room. Uh, it's unclear. Lester was not interested in either of those. Unclear whether Michael H. has his own hot Asian wife in a hotel room or otherwise. Uh, well, he only printed one ticket, so. Okay. <laughs> 
You're a bastard, Michael. <laughs> Malville gave him three chances to walk away, but Lester pushed until he blew the operation, creating an enemy and screwing up his whole life. Uh-huh. Uh, we kind of talked about this. He talks about um, if he blames Malville for all the murders in Bemidji, what was he trying to do? But he said at the end, good drama, flawed tr- characters make good t- television. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've talked about this enough. Do you feel sure. like I, I made one mention of maybe it's Lester's guilt? What do you do? You feel like the Lester seems like a guilty dude? No, uh, he doesn't seem to have any guilt whatsoever. Seeing Lorne, because it seemed like that maybe he moved past that guilt when he sold his house, because it seemed like that was a big turning point that he was thinking a lot about the murders and death when he was surrounded by those yeah. things. I mean, do you think that maybe he could have felt a twing of guilt when he saw Billy Bob there? Uh, no, I really don't think it was okay. guilt. I think. He passed the guilt when he framed his brother. Okay. Like, if he doesn't feel guilty about that, what does he feel guilty about? True enough. Can't argue with that. Solid takes all around. Okay. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Good job. Uh, we uh, buttoned down here and uh, made a podcast. Um, that's a bad Minnesota accent. Yeah, that was pretty bad. I thought you were going for old-time uh, radio I, announcer. I think I hit there. Halfway between a drunk Canadian and old-time radio announcer. <laughs> a little bit Australian worked in there too sure sure yeah that's it man okay if well, you'd like to give us more feedback send it in to fargo at baldmove.com we always have our weekly show watch threads and podcast discussion threads at baldmove.com slash fargo and jim has his ears wide open on twitter at baldmove 24 7 365 you're, you're promising a lot for me there <laughs> i just, you know you're an unstoppable evil force jim <laughs> that's true that's it All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back for the season finale next week. And until then, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you then. Yo, this is Captain Cook. Listen up. Mr. White and I have a new website. He was like, we could increase our website uptime way past 99.1% by joining Media Temple and some other science shit. I said, look, you may know a lot about chemistry, man, but you don't know jack about building websites. The guy is like 60 or something. But get this, he was right. No chili pee, just WordPress. The site looks dope now, and I got more cash than an ATM, yo. You should seriously up your game with Media Temple's WordPress hosting. Check out ballmove.com forward slash Media Temple and sign up. What are you waiting for, bitch? Step chat.